0: Morning. I gotta say, a little surprised we're here. (laughs) All week, I was pretty convinced it was going to end up happening Sunday morning. Guess Sunday morning's not over yet. Um, do want to welcome a couple visitors we have this morning. Glad you guys have decided to worship with us this morning. It's always good to see some new faces. Um, it amazes me that since we've been here, I think since literally the first week. There was a wedding that had just happened and there was a wedding that was about to happen. And then I think we got, I guess if you could call everyone having COVID, a few months of downtime of about six months before there was a lot more excitement again. It's just uh, from day one, it seems like it's been a flurry of activity out here. It's it's fun. Um, I do want to remind everyone, probably not this week, but after this week, we'll be continuing our Wednesday night Bible studies Um, I don't know if we're still meeting. I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't think we're meeting this week because Priscilla and I will probably not be here. Fingers crossed. Hopefully by then. Um, We encourage you after after this week, starting next week again to Wednesday night Bible studies. I think it's uh, it's been a good time. Some good studies. Um, On Sundays today, we've been studying the Old Testament. Um, One of the one of the reasons we've been studying the Old Testament, really, uh, truthfully, is I picked it because it's hard. <laughs> um, I think it's hard to sit down and just read and really understand and dig into the Old Testament. And so uh, my hope is that as we've been doing this and as we've been reading and kind of breaking down some of these stories, it's made it that much easier to to read it on your own and to try and sort of uh, squeeze juice from the, from the apple or the orange, so to speak, and understand what God is trying to tell us. Um, so this morning uh, we have another one, this time from the book of... Jeremiah, if you wanted to start turning there. Uh, Jeremiah was, of course, a prophet. He's one of the later prophets. Uh, He he comes into the scene after the the reign of David and Solomon and after Israel and Judah have fallen. And this once great nation has been now kind of reduced to a a tiny group of people that's sort of uh, disparate everywhere. They're spread out, they've been largely destroyed as a nation. And they're actually living, most of them, living under enemy rule in captivity. And uh, it really can't be understated how much this collapse of their nation, uh, of their identity really being dissolved, it really shapes their way of life. Um, it, it shapes their culture, and of course that includes uh, these writings from their time. And then of course it affected the prophets very personally. It affected their, their own inner lives, how they grew up, how they saw things, how they viewed God. Uh, In a way, in a very small way, I think it is at least similar uh, to what this, I would say, this generation and the next generation will experience in our country. Um, Not necessarily a collapse of the nation or exile, but once, uh, I think we were, even if not everybody was Christian, uh, we were in a society that was very built on Christian values and Christian rules, at least by and large. And of course now, that's, that's not really the case. And without getting necessarily political, um, you just cannot assume people have the same faith as you when you talk to them, when you speak to them about your faith, when you try to share your faith with them. They might not go to church or believe in God at all. And while that doesn't change uh, our mission and it doesn't change what God has told us to do, it does change how we do that. It changes evangelism, right? It changes outreach. It changes the work of the church in a little way. And uh, the same was true at this time for the Israelites, for God's people, for the way they viewed the world and how they did things. So going back to the Israelites, they're, at this time period, they're not, they're not sure what this means for them. How it is that they're supposedly God's people and they're God's chosen race and they're God's possession, yet their national identity is gone. Their enemies, it seems, have won. And so this period of turmoil shapes much of uh, the writings of the prophets at this time. And in order to address this, a lot of the teaching in Jeremiah revolves around one of two ideas. The first is that our country, and he gets very frank at times, says our country is gone because of sin. God punished us, eventually. The consequences of our actions finally... uh, finally have taken place. The chickens have come home to roost. Bobby Boucher. The second is that these consequences are not permanent. The situation we're seeing now is not the situation that's going to be forever. I, when I think of it, I almost think of it as a, a halftime speech to a losing team. If we have any Mississippi State fans in the audience. It's like, look, we're down... We're, this, this thinks we're losing, but it's because we've made these mistakes, and if we can stop making these mistakes, there's still hope, there's still time left. And so a lot of the prophets, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they have this unusual tone of, uh, of, of warning against sin, of a very harsh view on sin, a very uh, disciplined and almost wrathful view of sin, while at the same time, hope. And to us, I think those two things, that idea of discipline and hope, don't really Mesh when we read it sometimes, but that's that's really the environment that has shaped uh, this theology or these these writings. So there's this, like I said, this odd mix of warning against sin, but a hope for the future for redemption, and it's that scene, that mixing bowl that Jeremiah is dropped into. That's what's kind of going on for his life. Um, and so, so like I said, we're going to be looking at the book of Jeremiah, and at the very beginning of Jeremiah's life, God calls Jeremiah. Most of the book of Jeremiah is either Jeremiah speaking to God or God telling Jeremiah what to go tell the people. But in Jeremiah 1, God actually has a message just for the prophet. And that's what we're going to study this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and look at Jeremiah chapter 1. And we're going to begin, we'll say, at verse 9. And we'll read through the end of the chapter of Jeremiah 1, beginning in verse 9, the call of Jeremiah. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. The Lord said to me, Behold, I have put words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. And they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work, arise, and say to them everything that I have commanded you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So there's a lot going on here, a lot of different messages, some with different intended audiences, ultimately. Uh, but this, this starts with a call specifically to Jeremiah, an address to Jeremiah. <clears throat> and it's, it's really this idea of calling that's been on my mind a lot lately that kind of led me to this text. Um, I, I've been thinking about it, I guess, because when I think about my own life, there's a, a work I would say I feel called to, and there's the work that I have to do to feed my family, right? And I think all of us in some way or some form deal with this tension of what we feel like we should be doing as Christians and what we feel like we have to do to feed our family. That's not to say that what we have to do is unchristian, but there's a tension when we only have so much time and we only have so much energy and so much stuff in the week that this creates a tension in our lives, I think. At least it, sometimes it can. In calling, when we talk about the word calling, I think it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, as Christians, of course, we we can describe our uh, our coming to the knowledge of the gospel as a calling, right? We we might say we felt called by the gospel as Christians to, to repent, to be baptized, to change our lives. We were feel called in that way. Some, a uh, more narrower group, some are, feel called to serve in the church as elders, deacons, preachers, teachers, just servants to help, help the work of the church kind of get along and keep moving. Others, I think a lot of people, uh, feel called to some work in their life, to a trade, to, to start a business, to work in a field. To, they, they encountered some sort of job, some sort of career some sort of future and they felt called to that to be doctors, nurses hairdressers, farmers, welders engineers you felt called to that at least in some way probably and then on the other end I'm willing to bet a lot of us maybe some of us now but a lot of us at some point or another in our lives have felt the opposite we have felt a complete lack of calling. I think that can be very frustrating. A lack of calling uh, in our secular lives, right, where there's maybe different opportunities or there's no opportunities and you're not really sure what you're supposed to be doing. Or the same can happen spiritually, where you feel like you're trying to read the Bible and it doesn't make sense. Or you're trying to pray, but it doesn't feel like God's ever there. Or maybe you're speaking and you're feeling like you're just talking to the walls. Sometimes as Christians, I think it can be difficult to to read the Bible, to read the stories of these dramatic callings like the burning bush, or Noah in the ark, or Jesus walking by Matthew and saying, leave everything you own and follow me. It can be hard to read that and think, I don't have anything in my life that comes anywhere close to that. No one's ever... I work for a church now and no one's ever showed up at my job and said, Terrence, I want you to drop everything you own and go to Romine, Alabama and work for about 30 people out that way. So sometimes the Bible can be inspiring and helpful and awesome and sometimes you go, well, that doesn't look like my life at all. So What do I do with that? Well, I think if we read Jeremiah, based on this idea of calling, at least as it relates to the Lord. Uh, there are three things that sort of happened for Jeremiah. That even though the Lord doesn't set a bush on fire or walk into our job where we work and call us personally. And might not speak to us the way we are used to being spoken to. I think if we read Jeremiah, we can pick up on three uh, steps. I would kind of outline three steps to calling. Calling. And they have to kind of be done in order, at least I think, to, to get from where Jeremiah starts, which is sort of just an everyday, normal person, to where Jeremiah ends, which is a, a fairly successful, we would say, prophet. And actually on Wednesday nights we talked a lot about what it means to be successful in a Christian sense, as a church, as a minister, as a, as a messenger, or just as a, as a Christian. And if you read Jeremiah, uh, we would not think of him as a tr- successful prophet in the traditional sense. In fact... Uh, I think he's exiled several times. Nobody listens to him, and he dies mostly alone. But he figured out what God wanted for his life. He spent his whole life chasing it. But the first step, before any of that happened, the first step, and it's really a step zero, I would almost call it, because it's so basic, it's so fundamental. Um, I think if you were in college, they would call this a prerequisite to being called. First, a call from the Lord must be audible. It has to be heard. If the Lord is speaking and we are not hearing, then it's not getting anywhere. When I think about hearing a call from God, I, I actually don't first jump to Jeremiah. My mind first goes to Samuel. The story of Samuel laying there and, and God speaking, and Samuel saying, Oh, what is that? And he gets up and he, he goes to Eli and he lays back, and Eli says, oh, I go lay back down. He lays back down, God calls again. Samuel goes to Eli again. Eli tells him again to go lay down. Finally, God calls him again. And then finally, Eli says, I think something's going on here. When God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah pipes right up. In fact, if we looked at at verse 6 of the chapter, Jeremiah's first words after God calls him are, Ah, Lord God. He knows right away who is speaking to him. He recognizes the voice of God. Samuel, Samuel needed help identifying the call of God. God, Samuel said, something is happening. I don't know what it is. Samuel would have been benefited by caller ID. When I read the story of Samuel, I think of some sort of heavenly caller ID. And I'm about to make myself sound a lot older than I probably am. uh, But our first phone in our house did not have caller ID. I don't know. I think I've lost just about half the people over here. But if the rest of y'all can stick with me, I'm a promise we'll get somewhere interesting. Um, whenever someone would call you know, if, especially if one of us kids answered the phone we'd have to go through the thing of the oh yes can I speak to so and so And well who are you, what, what do you want because if, if I ever handed my dad the phone and it was a telemarker I'd probably get it smacked out of my hand like what are you answering the phone for these people for right and of course back then it was actual people not robots but I digress um, so you'd have this little interrogation phase when someone called you and you didn't recognize their voice You're like, well what do you want Who are you? you, What are you calling from? Why are you calling us at dinner time? Then if you kind of thought this sounded pretty good, you'd hand the phone to your parents, you'd go track them down, because they'd actually have to come to the phone, right? Because you'd be sitting there in the hallway like this. And then sometimes, other people would call and be like, oh, grandma, how you doing? Oh, Aunt Aunt so-and-so, yeah, how are you guys? What's going on? They just said, hey, you know who it is immediately. Also, when I think of that time period, for whatever reason that I still don't fully understand, um, once everybody started getting cell phones, at least in high school, it became very popular to call your friends from one of your friends' phones and try and pretend to be your friend and see how long it took them to recognize what was going on. Uh, Maybe it's just me, uh, but in my experience, girls were very fond of doing this whenever they were hanging out somewhere in little groups. We'd just call each other and mess with each other's friends. Maybe that's not trying to judge or anything, I'm just saying it seems like a girl thing to do. Um, but again, some, sometimes if you didn't know them very well, you carry on whole conversations. My phone says, this is Sally. Hi, Sally, how's it going on? And then all of a sudden everybody starts bursting out laughing you feel like an idiot. Sometimes people call and you're like, no, you are not who you are saying you are. I think very early on in our relationship, uh, Priscilla's sister called from her cell phone one time because she was doing something and she... It was really for a functional reason, but her sister decided to have a little fun with it. She's like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm like, no, you are not who I'm supposed to be talking to right now. Something is wrong. In all of these situations, there's a familiarity that has to happen, right? For someone to call and you to know their voice right away. And some of us, even with cell phones, even with caller ID, I'm sure there's some of us where our parents, our spouse, our kids... When they call, you know who it is. They're going to be calling you from somebody else's phone. As soon as they start talking, you're like, I, I, I know who this is. Jeremiah had that kind of relationship with God right away. Jeremiah grew up in, in the right environment. He grew up knowing the text. He grew, up, he grew up in a bloodline where they actually said, if you were part of this family, there's a chance God is going to call you. And you need to be ready. Samuel, of course, as we know from his story, did not come at all from the normal or expected bloodline or expected family, but was given to the church and was starting to be raised in it. But I think the text actually says he had not yet heard the voice of God. So when God spoke, he says, I don't don't know who you are. Why are you calling? Who are you? What do you need? He actually needed some help, right? I think that's okay. Sometimes we need help identifying those voices that are God in our lives. Jeremiah knew God. As I said, when he was born into the right family, they actually kind of there was a conversation of if you were a part of this family, God might call you. Again, I think of that pre-caller ID phase where if someone had to call you, if you knew someone was going to call, they'd say, No, don't get on the phone. Right? Don't don't get on the phone or don't get on the internet. You pick it up and it'd just be nothing but this annoying buzzing sound. Don't use the computer. Don't call anybody. I'm waiting on a phone call. You were prepared. You prepared yourself mentally and physically for someone to call you. So that when you got that call, you could be ready. So when you got that call, that call was audible. Second step... Second thing that has to happen is the call of the Lord has to be absorbed. What do I mean by absorbed? If we look in the text, the Lord gives Jeremiah two visions. Two visions. And if you've never read this section of Jeremiah, uh, verse 12 would probably really confuse you. Because in verse 12, uh, and I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said, You have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. Of course. Almond branches are known for their watching, right? No. This makes no sense. Um, just out of curiosity, is, is anybody reading the Bible in Hebrew? have any native Hebrew speakers who are reading right to left and the calligraphy and all that? No. But if you're reading an English Bible, hopefully it has this little footnote that says almond sounds like the Hebrew word for watching. The Lord was speaking to Jeremiah in the right language not right in the sense of the Lord can be right or wrong, but the Lord spoke Jeremiah's language. Jeremiah knew how to understand what the Lord was saying to him. The Lord is not just painting visions and Jeremiah saying, okay, looks cool. Don't know what to do with that information. Jeremiah is actually absorbing what the Lord is telling him. He says, I'm watching over you to perform my word. He gives Jeremiah the vision of the boiling pot and Jeremiah says, "I, I know what that is. That's that's the looming disaster that is in the north. And he's actually talking about a, this specific country of Babylon that Israel knew was over them, that would conquer them, that would finish off its people at any time. But there's a play on words going on, and if, if we're not speaking the right language or we're not willing to maybe engage a little bit with it critically, we're not going to understand. The Lord says, Jeremiah, you have seen well. Luckily, uh, for those of us who are uh, maybe not into the, the visions and are working at loss, there's also a second half to what the Lord has to say to Jeremiah. For those of us who might ap- appreciate a more direct approach, look at verse 17. But you, dress yourself for work, arise, And say to them everything that I have commanded you. I think the second step is what loses a lot of us. We know God, at least in a general sense of who God is, right? Maybe we're born in the family or we've been to church. We've read the Bible before. I've got an idea of these parts that are moving around out there maybe in the same sense that most of us in here know how to drive a car but I'd probably count on one hand those of us that could fix a car. We can hear the Lord. The Lord is audible to us but when he speaks it's not always absorbed. There's a difference. I'm hearing you but I'm not understanding you. I'll give you an example from my life. I understand when someone told me that the Cowboys play the Falcons today at noon. If you try to speak to me from about noon to three, I will be hearing you, but I will not be understanding you. Husbands and wives probably know exactly what we're talking about. Anybody with kids, too, now that I'm thinking about it. It's a difference between hearing and understanding. And I think this is where we can get stumbled up. And you say, God is calling me to something in my life, but I don't, I don't know what. I know the Lord speaks. I know the Bible's out there. And I know it's, I'm supposed to read it and I'm supposed to get it. But I don't, I don't know what to do with that information. How do I apply that to my life? It can be hard because God doesn't speak to us the way we're used to being spoken to. The way we speak to each other. But I promise you, if you're listening, He does. As I said, luckily there's that second half. Sometimes it's in these loose things that we need to interpret and understand and go home and think about, meditate and pray on. So what does that mean? What is God trying to tell me? Other times it is, arise, dress yourself for work and do everything that I have commanded you. The Lord is saying, be ready. Verse 17, the Lord is telling Jeremiah, get yeah, up, do what you got to do, put your clothes on, go to work. And just do as I've commanded. And when the time comes, the rest will make sense. When the time comes, you'll know what to say. If we actually look in the text, when he first calls Jeremiah, he says, "But I, The Lord, I'm very young. No one's going to listen to me. And the Lord says, I know how old you are. He says, "But what, I'm not going to know what to say. And he says, I will put words in your mouth. You'll know what to say. The call of the Lord has to be absorbed. We have to know what to do with that information. The last thing, the last step the, so the call has been audible and it has been absorbed. Then and only then it can be answered. When I talk to people about this idea of calling and this, uh, well, what that means for them in their lives, a lot of people want to jump to this third step. They want to say, well, tell me what to do. What can I do in my life? I don't, I don't want to listen. I don't want to learn. Just, just teleport me into the correct life, right? I think I've been guilty of praying that to God sometimes. Just just let me be myself and change everything around me to be the right way that it needs to be. I give my wife a hard time sometimes because when something's broken with her car, I want to show her and be like, well, this is how it broke, and this is how you should fix it. She's like, just, can I just drive my car? (laughs) Sometimes we just want God to just fix the stuff, right? I, I don't want to listen. I don't want to learn anything. I don't want to change who I am, just just shift everything in the world around me to be the way that I need it to be to function. How about we do that? There's a process here. Jeremiah had made preparations to hear the call of the Lord. He had done work and put in effort and put in time in order so that when the Lord spoke to him, he actually understood what God was saying. And then, then Jeremiah was able to answer the call of the Lord. Because you see, the Lord actually called Jeremiah to go do more calling. He said, I need those people out there that I need you to get my message to. But before you can do that, we've got to get things right in your life. When I talk to people about this idea of calling, when they feel lost, when they're in that position of that lack of calling that I referenced earlier, more often than not, there's a breakdown at one of these points. When we talk about these different steps in the process. They can identify. They can say, I, I think that's where I am. So I, don't, I don't hear the call of the Lord at all. I don't even know God speaks to me. Maybe I don't even believe that God speaks to me. There's still kind of that step one or that step zero. Or maybe it's I've grown up in the church or a church. I kind of know the Bible. I've read the Bible, but I don't I don't understand what to do with taking this information and plugging it into my life. Sort of a round peg, square hole situation. Sometimes, and I think this is the step where I most often find myself, sometimes we, we hear God. We actually, we actually understand God. But then when it comes time to put in pen to paper, just don't do it. Maybe it's hard. Maybe we feel like we, we feel like we literally cannot do it. We feel like things are in our way that stop us from doing it. Sometimes the call is is audible and it is absorbed, and sometimes we just need to answer it. The Lord is calling. He has a calling for all of us, a work that we are called to do. And He is calling. If the Lord is calling you this morning, there's a call you need answered. If you have a need at any this time, let it know while we stand and while we sit.